we're going to cover the ground between Judges chapter 19 and chapters 21 today. I won't be reading through all three chapters, but just a brief section. And But if you could have your Bibles and your phones open throughout the service and just be reading along with different sections throughout Judges 19, 20, and 21, because these are fascinating and powerful stories in the history of Israel that have bearings even on our lives as believers in Christ today. And so, seeing Christ in all of Scripture, the book of Judges, we're going to be reading in Judges chapter 19, and we're going to be reading verses 22 through 30. Just by way of background, uh, for you to understand kind of where we're sitting at here, the author of the book of Judges is most likely Samuel, who wrote the book of Judges during the time and the days of the kings. And the reason uh, we we see this is there's that repetitious phrase throughout the book of Judges, in those days there was no king. Everyone in Israel did what was right in their own eyes. And so there's just this contrast uh, that Samuel highlights in relation to the uh, disorder that that came about through not having the uh, rule of just and righteous kings. So the time period here with Judges chapter 19 through 21 is uh, right after Joshua dies, uh, Aaron's son, Phinehas, is the priest uh, still. Um, and it's not too long after Joshua's death because Joshua and Phinehas were contemporaries and Phinehas outlived Joshua. So we think that the time period of when this happened, this story, was about 1375 to 1300 BC, right in around that vicinity. So that'll give you a little bit of a sense of the historical background of what took place here. And in terms of the particular story, in Judges chapter 19, verse 1, you'll see that the word says, in those days when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah, and his concubine was unfaithful to him, and she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah, and was there some four months. And then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. And so just uh, if you could... um, project the the map in the back and I'm not going to say that it's uh, Scott Wagner today because my daughter was sitting in the back back there when I kept saying Doug can you put the map up Doug can you put the map up (laughs) Scott can you put the map up Scott can you put the map up and uh, it was my daughter back there last week it wasn't Scott Wagner though Scott serves us faithfully each and every week so so grateful for Scott and Peg and the blessing they are Um, but grateful for Rachel and Kate being back there and my niece Kaya back there as well. So where we have uh, the, the setting of this story here is in Bethlehem down in the south amongst the tribe of Judah. Here's the city of Jerusalem. This is sort of a map that covers Judges chapters 19 through 21, the section of scripture that we're looking to cover today. And um, Jerusalem, um, that actually Jerusalem wasn't conquered yet. Um, the Canaanite Jebusites lived in Jerusalem in the name of the town here is is Jebus, as you'll see, uh, and it wasn't yet Jerusalem, but he travels, he, he has, uh, he travels from Bethlehem, this Levite does, all the way up, and he actually doesn't want to stop in Jerusalem because it's still a Canaanite 
um, controlled city. And so he passes through Jerusalem and he's like, let's get to where it'll be safe amongst the other tribes of Israel here in Gibeah of the tribe of Benjamin. So it's not too many miles away from Jerusalem to Gibeah. So that's what this Levite does traveling with his concubine. He leaves the concubine's father's house after a number of days. And a fascinating story, by the way. And then he eventually travels from Bethlehem and he gets to Gibeah thinking that it's going to be safe amongst the Israelites and safer amongst the Israelites than amongst the Canaanites that at that time lived and dwelt in Jerusalem. So that's sort of the the, the historical setting of uh, what took place here in Judges chapter 19 through 21. So the the Levite um, and the concubine end up, they travel uh, up to Gibeah, and as they come into the uh, town square, they're expecting that they're going to get hospitality, which was the custom in Israel at the time. And what's telling in this opening section in Judges 1 through 21 is that there's no hospitality given to this man as he's traveling through Israel to get back to his house. And he says he's trying to get to the house of God in Shiloh. So he's trying to get to Shiloh and in that vicinity. Um, he stops here for the night and he stays in the town square. And it's actually a sojourner. It's not even a person from the tribe of Benjamin that actually comes and gives him shelter and harbor. Um, and, and, and that part of the story, by way of background, is really telling that hospitality wasn't extended. Um, and the man um, ends up being taken into the house of a sojourner in Gibeah. And he's there, and he's dwelling in the house for the night of this man, the sojourner in Gibeah. And then the story picks up him, his concubine, and staying in the house of this sojourner in the town of Gibeah here in verse 22. And uh, here is what takes place. Just so you know, just by way of describing concubine to you in this culture, it was sort of like in this culture when Abraham... Um, had his concubine Sarah. His wife was Sarah, but his concubine was Hagar. And a lot of times they were connected and, and connected to one another in the same household. It was less than sort of like the first wife, but still it was it was a situation where immorality took place. And so you have a Levite who's not married just to one woman. He has a concubine as well. And so you just see in this beginning picture of of chaos and the things not being the way God created them to be from the creation. It starts off in Judges chapter 19 with a Levite uh, pursuing his unfaithful concubine and dwelling in Gibeah for the night thinking that it's going to be safe. And that's where we find our pickup here in verse 22. Read God's word together with me, please. As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the, the men of the city the men of the city of Gibeah in the tribe of Benjamin, worthless fellows surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. And they wanted to commit immorality with the man. That's what verse 22 is talking about. We may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, no, my brothers, do not act so wickedly since this man has come into my house do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his, and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do 
with them which seems good to you, which is horrible. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as the morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And just that image of her, this innocent woman, falling at the door and the threshold of this man's house, it's just this image, this haunting image embedded in your mind. Verse 27, And her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, Get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. And then he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, and took hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into twelve pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, Such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it. Take counsel and speak. The title of the message this morning is The Destruction of Sin and the Rebuilding of God's Grace. The Destruction of Sin and the Rebuilding of God's Grace. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we read this tragic story of where sin takes people, Lord, we we are horrified, we're appalled at the evil that takes place, even in just this one section of Scripture, Amongst your people, the, the Benjaminites, Lord, this, this should not have been, and yet it was. And it's, it's a picture, God, of how much we need a Savior as sinners. Sin will lead us into greater and greater chaos in our lives. Help us to be sobered by that, but also amazed that you would continue to stay faithful to come and extend your grace to people who... All we deserve, Lord, is your wrath, and yet you extend mercy and grace. Lord, as we see your justice displayed in this section of Scripture, I pray, God, that you would help us to be reminded of the justice that you poured out on your Son when he died in our place on the cross. Help us to be sobered by the awful consequences of sin, and help us to be amazed at grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's these phrases throughout Judges chapter 19, 22 through 30. You see this phrase um, in in 22 through 26. My brothers, do not act so wickedly. When you hear this story here, what Samuel, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, telling this story is meant to convey to you is look at how far Israel has fallen so quickly. From choose you this day which God you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And all the people of Israel saying, Amen, we will do that. To not too long after that, you've got this tragic, tragic story. And what it's meant to do, is it's meant to just blow you away, cause you to be appalled at the outrageous nature of the sin and to say, oh my goodness, this is worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis. And yet it's happening in Israel. Now that's the outrage that the rest of Israel feels later in the section when they all rise up in chapter 20 to rise to go and bring justice against these wicked men of Benjamin 
who, who committed these awful, vile acts, but also, and who, who hurt and abused and, and killed this woman. But there was also an entire tribe, the Benjaminites, who, even if they didn't perpetrate the act themselves, they stood by the wicked men who did it and fought with them against the rest of the tribe of Israel. We're going to get to that in the civil war described in chapter 20. You just got chaos that just builds from 19 all the way through to the end of 20. And it is so sad to see the civil war break out. It's so sad in 19 to see once again that the sin and the unfaithfulness of 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 a of small household start to translate into a revealing of a greater and greater tribal wickedness in the tribe of Benjamin. It is so sad here, not just what the Benjaminites do in hurting and abusing this poor woman throughout the night where she dies, but not only that, the, the, the callousness of the, the Levite who just, just you know, up, oh, come on, let, let's get going. And it, it just, it seems also cold and it's meant to seem cold. It's, it's how in the world would that man and, 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 and the master of the concubine, how in the world would they submit themselves to allowing these men to violate their loved ones like this? And you're, you're just meant to think this is outrageous. This is scandalous. That's exactly the kind of reaction that the Holy Spirit's meant, meaning to get out of you and I when we're reading this passage. How far we can fall when we give ourselves over, even to the littlest of sins. We tend to think sin, we can just kind of dabble in it a little bit, and it's not going to bother us too much. No, brothers and sisters, it's important to remember that if you give sin an inch, it's going to take a mile. And, and you see this description play out throughout Judges chapter 19. So, so sad. And so the three points I just want to mention briefly are sin, justice, and grace. Sin, justice, and grace. The first point, sin and we see in the last section of verses 27 through 30 that the Word of God says in verse 30, all who saw it, when this dead concubine, this dead woman, the Levite, cut her up into 12 pieces, her body, and sent a portion of her body to each of the 12 tribes of Israel, most likely he might have even sent it to other Levites that were spread abroad throughout the 12 tribes. And it was meant to cause everybody to say, my goodness, what has happened here? And that's the effect it had. Such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel and speak. There was so much wickedness going on. Everyone was doing right was in their own eyes. And so people were not even batting an eyelash. It just opened wickedness and immorality in individual households. And uh, it, it, was just, it was just chaos building and building. But this story raised eyebrows because it was so dramatic. And God in his providence was moving all of, of the tribes of Israel to finally rise up and take action against this outrageous Sodom and Gomorrah-like wickedness amongst the men of Benjamin and the men who also approved of it. One of the things in relation to sin, and you see this in Romans 1 in, in particular, there's a connection with the particular form of sexual immorality mentioned here amongst the Benjaminites. 
is that it, it's not just sin and wickedness to actually commit sexual immorality and evil acts. But it's also a sin to approve of those who do it. Our culture is a culture that says, hey, listen, I don't approve of that and I don't live that way, but I'm not going to condemn anybody who does. I'm going to be tolerant of everybody and everybody's lifestyle. And you don't, it's, it's, it's a very often repeated mantra in our culture, but brothers and sisters, it's not a scriptural mantra. What happens is, is if you give approval to those who are living in unrepentant wickedness, and you just say, oh, that's okay, and it's all right that that's happening, and we're just going to tolerate that here, that is taking part in the wickedness. And so you see here that the Benjaminites who did these evil acts were sinful enough, but in Judges chapter 20, the people of Israel gather together, and you see in verse 1 of chapter 20, then all the people of Israel came out, from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mizpah. And you see that they presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 men on foot. That's quite an army that drew the sword. And that, if you could put the map back up again, please. Um, Mizpah was over on the border of Gibeah, over here to the... Uh, the northeast or northwest. And so they gathered here and they evaluated what they were going to do. The 400,000 swordsmen resolved to carry out justice on the Benjaminites for doing what they did that was so evil. And that's where we transition from just the, the awfulness of sin, point one, to the second point, which is justice. They rise up in chapter 20, and I don't, I'm not gonna have time to read the entire chapter, but brothers and sisters, please do. I mean, reading God's Word and seeing these stories has tremendous relevance in our lives today. I've been just so enjoying reading through the Old Testament together with you and just seeing Christ in all of Scripture. These passages here help us all see how desperately we all need a Savior in vivid color. There's great darkness in this passage. And so when you read the prophecy in Isaiah where the people living in darkness have seen a great light, talking about the birth of Christ when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it's meant to cause you to see that, yes, indeed, this is very dark indeed. And it takes something this dramatic to rise the people of Israel up. All the other 11 tribes 400,000 men rise up and draw the sword and come up against the tribe of Benjamin here at Gibeah. And you see in verse 15 that the people of Benjamin in chapter 20 mustered out of their cities on that day 26,000 men who drew the sword besides the inhabitants of Gibeah. And what happens here is they had so deeply corrupted themselves that they the people of Israel did something that was wise. They came into Benjamin and they just said, Benjamin, listen, we're not going to punish all of you, but you need to investigate and find out who the perpetrators of these evil acts were and bring justice upon them and we will be satisfied. But what takes place is instead of dealing that justice, the people of Benjamin actually just do nothing and they but support 
this evil that is going on in the land in Judges chapter 20 amongst the, the men of Benjamin. They stood with their wicked brothers instead of fighting against them like the rest of the 400,000 were. And what takes place is that Israel has no choice. The 400,000 have to say, listen, we can't just now act in justice against the specific perpetrators of these evil acts. Now we have to actually go to war against the whole tribe of Benjamin. And you just, all the battles before, brothers and sisters, they're talking about Israel fighting against the Gentiles, Israel fighting against the Canaanites, the, the enemies of God. Now you've got civil war going on between Israel and Israel, and it's meant to just cause your heart to break when they start to fight against each other. It's, it's so tragic, even as you study the American Civil War and as you study any type of civil war inside of a nation when there's war, brother against brother. It's just absolutely tragic, and that's what sin leads us to. As you look in Judges chapter 20, as the Lord guides the people of Israel to go and fight against the tribe of Benjamin, the Lord sends them over three different consecutive days. The first day, the people of Israel come and they fight against Gibeah. And the warriors of Gibeah were so strong and so stubborn that they actually killed 22,000 Israelites who were actually acting as agents of justice. On the second day, 18,000 men of Israel who were agents of justice died in the good cause of bringing the Benjaminites to justice. And I was so affected that God sent them over three days, and in the first two days, they took such heavy losses. There were 40,000 Israelites, agents of justice, who died as the men of Benjamin, in their arrogance and in their conceit, drove them off. So the 26,000 men were holding off, particularly the men of the tribe of Judah who came against them in the first waves. And I was really affected in relation to this for us, church, in, in that agents of justice and seeking to carry out justice is not going to be an easy path. I, I, was, I was meditating on this, that by the end of it, on the third day, there's a, an ambush against the Benjaminites for their wickedness, and God finally brings them to an end pretty much all at once on one day where they were cut down and tragically only 600 men of the Benjaminites lived at the end of the third day of the battle. So justice is carried out, but I was thinking about this. The agents of justice who died and were killed were more numerous than those who were wicked. And it just moved me to think of how important it is to, for us to remember that as we do good and as we do what is right, it's not going to always be easy. They come before the Lord and they inquire of the Lord, shall we go up on them on, against them on the first day? Yes, go up. And they suffer loss. They go up the second day and they, 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 they suffer more loss. And you're beginning to think, oh my goodness, Lord, where are you in the midst of these men seeking to carry out justice, and they're being driven back and destroyed. But what you see, brothers and sisters, in Judges chapter 20, 
Look at verse 25 and 26. Look at verse 26 in chapter 20. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, ministered before it in those days, saying, shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? And the Lord said, go up. For tomorrow I will give them into your hand. Look at how the desperation drove them to seek the Lord. By way of application to us, a lot of times, brothers and sisters, as we're following Christ and as we're doing even what is good and right, we tend to expect that when we're doing what is good and right and living for the Lord, that things are just going to go our way. I think one of the applications that I really feel is important from this section is these, these brothers and sisters are actually persistent in carrying out the just judgment of God upon the wicked tribe of Benjamin but it, not only is it not easy, but they are broken down and brought so low that they are, they are weeping and they're crying out to God. They're inquiring of the Lord. They've got the Ark of the Covenant symbolizing the presence of God amongst the people of God in their midst, and yet they, they have suffered heavy losses. God was with them, and they suffered heavy losses. And what seems like defeat, brothers and sisters, we must remember, it's, only, it's temporary defeat. But it seems like the end, and yet God, in the midst of temporary defeat, creates desperation in His people. So right now in your life, as you're just thinking, you're thinking, oh my goodness, all I seem to see around my life right now, even as a Christian and as a follower of Christ, is it seems like there's just defeat, and there's, there's, there's loss, there's difficulty. This isn't easy, and it seems like the, the, the wicked are prospering. Like the men of Benjamin and Gibeah here in Judges chapter 20. Brothers and sisters, take heart. God is in control. Justice will be carried out in God's timing. Stay faithful after day one. Stay faithful after day two. And on the third day comes deliverance. I'm so affected by the reference to the third day is where Deliverance and salvation comes for Israel in relation to this battle, connecting us with Christ and his resurrection and helping us to remind us that on the third day, Christ not only died and was buried, as Joshua mentioned earlier, but he was risen from the dead in great victory, having been the agent of receiving the justice of God in his body and satisfying the justice and the wrath of God in our place on the cross. Carrying out justice and doing what is good and right in this world is not going to be easy. But God is still with you. The Christian life is not easy, but God is still with you. We've got to get this in our head because we very easily, we're very feelings driven. And when we think that, oh man, this is going so hard. Look at all the losses we've, we've, we've had here. 18,000, 22,000, 40,000 in two days. It's just like, shall we give up? And God's like, no, persevere. Persevere, keep carrying on. And they do, 
And what ends up happening is the deliverance comes on the third day. The, the 40,000 uh, who died, it brought about such a desperation in the people of Israel. And here's an important point for us. The losses created a desperation in the remaining battle army of Israel. A desperation that would not have been there. The prayer, the fasting, the inquiring of the Lord, the the weeping before the Lord, the making offerings before the Lord, and reminding us of the blood sacrifice needed of the finished work of Christ in future days. All of this good amongst the people of Israel happened in a broken place. I, in my Christian life, so often, I, I want things to be up. I want things to be up. And God says, no, I'm going to take you down into the valley of humiliation. I'm going to take you down and make you feel the losses. Even as you're doing what is right here, Israel, God in his providence makes us desperate. He brings us to our knees. He causes us to weep and to cry out for him and to be almost maddened with God. We are doing what is right. Why are the wicked Benjaminites driving us back? Prosper us. And they seek God's face in a way they never would have had God given the success on day one. Brothers and sisters, God's got a higher agenda in our lives than just giving us an easy life as Christians. He's got a higher plan. It's our sanctification. And if you're looking at your life right now and you're saying, God, I am broken. I am on my knees. I am weeping. I feel like I'm hanging on by a thread here. Lord, and I've got nothing but you, Jesus. I'm just clinging to your feet and I'm weeping over my own sin and the sins of wickedness out in the world. And I feel like I'm barely hanging on here. That's exactly where God wants us. That's the place that the Holy Spirit is working to get each of us to. Living the high life and living the good life and just happy, happy, fun, fun. That is not the way of the broken path of following our crucified Jesus. A man who was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, the scriptures say, and familiar with suffering. It wasn't easy for Jesus. But through enduring suffering, Christ conquered and conquered for us. And through enduring and continuing to inquire of the Lord, it's a beautiful story here. The people of Israel persevere and they endure. They don't run from the battle. They stay in the fight. And on the third day, God finally brings the dramatic deliverance. There's an ambush set. If you read the story in verse 29 through to the end of the chapter, and the men of Benjamin realize that they're finished. They start to flee in battle and they're cut down and they're cut down and the entire city of Gibeah was destroyed, every one of them. And by the end of the chapter, it's just this tragic tale of, look at verse 47. 600 men of Benjamin turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimmon and remained at the Rock of Rimmon for months. Uh, one more time at the map. Please, 
Thank you, Scott. <laughs> Gibeah was here, and Rimmon was right up outside of here. They fled from the battle, the Benjaminites. And this is where sin takes you. Sin wants to take you to utter destitution, driven out of your dwelling place, living in the wilderness with no shelter, out without having any longer a tribe or a people to dwell with, living in isolation, completely broken and shattered. These men had seen their brothers suffer the full justice of God, and they themselves had suffered it as well. Though for the 600 men of the tribe of Benjamin who were saved alive and who lived in the rocks of Rimmon, God, after carrying out this great justice against this wicked tribe of Israel, shows compassion on Benjamin in the final chapter of the book of Judges. And the, the final point after justice is grace. I'm not going to spend long on this because we have a, a judge's uh, final concluding sermon next week, which I'm really looking forward to, entitled Judges for Today, where we take the book of Judges and apply it to our lives today. I'm really looking forward to that. Judges chapter 1 is powerful because the men of Israel who fight for the justice of God against the wicked Benjaminites, when they see their brothers, 600 left after... 26,000 of them once existed, and 25,000 men fell. It says that they took compassion on the men of Benjamin. Look at verse 6 of Judges chapter one, or 21. And for Benjamin, and for Benjamin, their brother, the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin, their brother, and said, one tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives? They were so wicked that rightly the men had just made a conviction that they weren't going to give their daughters to any of the remaining Benjaminites, which was the right thing to do. But then what do you do for the guys that are left? Because if they don't have wives, the tribe of Benjamin would die out and, and they had compassion on them. And it just... It made, me real, it made me remember just the compassion of God. We, brothers and sisters, are like the Benjaminites who we have done wickedness. We have thought and we have spoken and we have done acts of wickedness. We are all sinners in this room worthy of the justice of God. This whole world is. And what we see out in the world is God is going to bring such climactic justice upon the world when the, Jesus Christ returns not one unrepentant sinner will escape. And it's going to be like this slaughter of the people of Benjamin on this day. The majority of sinners are going to be cut down. But there's a remnant, 600, that remain and who are saved alive. You and I are like the remnant of sinners that God, by His grace, has chosen to have compassion on. Jesus, when he came in his ministry on the earth, it said that he saw the crowds and he, he, he took compassion on them. The, the verb literally in the Greek is he compassioned them. He looked and he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and, shepherd. and Jesus had compassion on the crowds, the sinners of Israel. 
And he also, brothers and sisters, took compassion on us. Imagine yourself destitute out by the rocks of rim in your house and your livelihood and your homes and your fields have all been destroyed and laid waste due to the consequences of your sin and in your approving of sin and you're brought very low and there's really no hope for any turnaround and then God, right at that point of need, shows compassion to you. That's our God. And He does it here from Judges chapter 21 in this powerful but extraordinary story of where these wives for the 600 men of Benjamin come from. It was funny, I I was uh, interacting with uh, John Lewiendahl from church and he was saying to me, Hey man, how are you gonna how are you gonna preach the sermon on the, how the men from Benjamin got the wives in Judges chapter twenty one? And uh, we were just laughing about just how extraordinary this story is. And we were um, the first set comes from the men of Jabesh Gilead, who were actually a part of the eleven tribes of Israel. The people of Israel, when they all congregated as one man at Mizpah, said, "We all need to come together and deal and be agents of justice against Benjamin." But the men of Jabesh Gilead said, no, we're not coming. So in a dramatic form of justice as well, they send, they send soldiers to Jabesh Gilead and they cut down the men in the city of Jabesh Gilead and they only kept alive 400 young virgins, verse 12, from the land of Jabesh Gilead, and they brought those 400 young virgins to the 600 Benjaminite remnant remaining men, and they became their wives, but they still realized they had 200 too few. The rest of the story is about a feast at Shiloh where the young women of Israel would come and dance and celebrate, most likely at the Feast of Tabernacles at Shiloh. And the men instructed the remaining Benjaminites who didn't have wives to lie in wait. And when they saw the daughters of Israel dancing at the Feast of Tabernacles, to run each one of them and to snatch up their wife in an amazing and dramatic story. And then they took these new wives to Benjamin. And however peculiar the story is, and it really is extraordinary, It was a solution to a hard, hard problem of where in the world are they going to find Israelite wives for these remaining 600 men when every man in Israel said, we're not going to give any of these guys our daughters because of their wickedness. What do you do in that situation? It was a solution to that. And what affects me in in this sort of final point here is not only were the men of Benjamin saved alive, God provided in His providence a fresh start for them. Wives for them. And when they returned to their inheritance, it actually says, and I think the Holy Spirit really rested on this word in my study this week as I was thinking of all of us. Verse 23, let's read that together at the end. And the people of Benjamin did so and took their wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. And then they went and returned to their inheritance and they rebuilt. And I was thinking of just the, the rebuilding of grace. 
being completely broken down underneath of sin and the consequences of sin in our own lives, being destitute in the rocks and having no future whatsoever, broken and humbled. It said that the men of Israel came to those 600 Benjaminites that remained, and it said they spoke peace to them. And not only did they speak peace to them, but they secured a a fresh start for them as these men came out from the rocks. And no doubt they were men who were broken and changed after all that the death and carnage they saw that their sin had produced. And God in His mercy gives them new wives and they go back to Benjamin and they rebuild the towns and they live in them. God is a God who is so awesome that He serves justice perfectly. And yet to those sinners who by His grace He has saved alive alive and proclaimed peace to through the blood of Christ shed on the cross for us, not only does He save us, not only does He secure for us all that we need, but He also gives us energy and strength to get up from the place of brokenness and to pick up the hammer and begin to rebuild our lives that have been destroyed by the destruction of sin. Not everybody gets that chance. The majority of the Benjaminites were dead. But these 600, these few, were on the receiving end of amazing grace And Christ Community Church, we few who have believed in Christ and repented of our sins, we have had peace proclaimed to us. We who deserve God's wrath likewise, instead of us receiving it, oh, justice was still served against our sins, but Christ took it for you. And Christ took it for me. And now God brings beauty up from the ashes. And out from the darkness of our sin and wicked pasts, God brings forth new life. He rebuilds, not just the towns, but He rebuilds this broken tribe. He rebuilds your broken family. He rebuilds our broken lives. What a God. Us, we've been evil, doing what is right in our own eyes. Not only perpetrating acts of wickedness, but commending those who do so. Being tolerant of those who do so. God stays with us all along. Never leaves us. And in His mercy, says of each one of us who have believed, I'm going to carry out justice upon your sins, but instead of it coming upon you in hell forever, I'm going to carry out my perfect justice on my son Jesus. He's going to suffer the wrath that you sinners deserve. What a Savior. What an awesome God of grace. And so Tom, if you and the worship band can return, we're going to sing grace and peace. Because brothers and sisters, because of the finished work of Christ, we have grace in our lives. We have peace. 
We have the rebuilding effect of great, the grace of God in our life, even though we've been on the receiving end of having to endure for many days the consequences of our sin. God is so good in our lives to pour out His justice upon our sin, upon Christ on the cross in the place of us. A remnant chosen by grace. And we have cause to sing because of the 25,000 other people cut down all around us and of the millions of people Billions of people lost on this earth right now who do not know Jesus and who have rejected Him and who will be cut down on the final day of judgment. We hear. We hear. We few are a remnant chosen by grace. Why us? How kind of God to have mercy on you and not to cut you down and cut me down. We all are worthy of His justice but we few have been on the receiving end of His grace. Amen? Let us stand and let us praise Him for the God of grace who brings up beauty from the ashes of our lives and who saves us and pours out His grace upon us even though we don't deserve it. Let's worship. Just in closing, I'm going to read from Ephesians to speaking of God's grace but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Christ Community Church, remember that you have been saved by grace through faith. That you would, out of that truth, in this week, and, and for the rest of our lives, continue to remember and do good for God, even in the midst of our trials, even in what we go through. We know that God is with us in it all. May you have a great Sunday. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Look forward to seeing you next week. Amen. God bless you.